Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Projects That Matter. In this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with my colleague at UNICEF Australia, Viv Harvey-Wong. As many would know, UNICEF does lots of incredible work to empower children. They're one of the world's largest children charities and they work to protect the rights of every child. Viv is here to speak about her work as an international programs manager. Thanks so much for joining us, Viv. Thanks, Molly. Really happy to be here. Now, first off, why do you think international development is so important for children? Yeah, so I think international development is really important because everyone has human rights um, and should really have the chance to have those rights realised no matter their background, where they live, whether they're, you know, rich or poor, whether they're a boy, a girl or non-binary and whether they're a child or adult. Um, Growing up, my family, I think, really instilled in me a strong sense of appreciating the opportunities I had you know, recognizing the privilege that I had to access those opportunities. And also this really kind of strong sense of working for justice and equality. Um, I have a family who grew up in parts of Southeast Asia who had to move because of war and conflict, family who didn't have the opportunity to finish schooling, and family who grew up quite poor as well. So I think all of those kinds of um, stories, hearing those stories as a kid really impacted me and led me to kind of question how some people could have so much and some so little. I think I just kind of kept asking those questions and was never really satisfied with the answers that I got. Um, And I think it really kind of comes down to, you know, just because something is the way that it is doesn't mean that it should be. Yeah, of course. So the family that you speak about, Viv, where are they now? So this was... Um, from both sides of my family, really. So my um, my mum and her parents. My mum was um, born in Hong Kong, um, but her parents uh, lived in Vietnam um, and moved because of the war. And my great aunt and great uncle were also living over there at the time. And they came to Australia as refugees with Uh, all of their kids, they have 11 sons, who are all now kind of my parents' age, um, all grown up with families and um, have lived a lot of their lives in Australia now. But yeah, so the roots of kind of my family come from um, Southeast Asia. And yeah, a lot of it was underpinned and kind of characterised by living in a way that you know, force them to move because of conflict and war and also just in terms of kind of looking for opportunities for a better life and for safety and for um, access to better opportunities. Yeah, it sounds like your family has really um, gone through some some tough times, but that's incredible that uh, their story has inspired you to come into this line of work. Yeah, it's something that I, I hold really close um, to my heart and something that I I think underpins a lot of what I do in work. Of course. And obviously uh, UNICEF is a worldwide organisation. Which countries does UNICEF Australia program managers specifically focus on? Yeah, so like you were saying um, in the intro for this episode, UNICEF is the United Nations Children Fund and was set up after World War II um, and works in over 190 countries in advocating for the rights of children. Um, and do that we work in areas of health nutrition education child protection and water sanitation and hygiene and really what that means is working in sectors to give children the best start to life and also have the ability to survive and thrive in the future um, and then unicef australia is what's called a national committee of unicef where we focus mostly on fundraising for 
development and humanitarian programming around the world. But we're also an Australian registered charity and also accredited through DFAT's um, Australian NGO Cooperation Program. Um, and this allows us to earmark funding for specific development projects um, with UNICEF country offices that we partner with. And so our partner country offices are mostly in the Asia Pacific, um, so Cambodia, Laos, Timor-Leste, PNG, sorry, Papua New Guinea, um, and the Pacific Multi-Country Office, um, and Sri Lanka, but we also have a partner country office in Burundi in East Africa. Yeah, right. That's quite a lot of countries for just UNICEF Australia to focus on. So I understand that you specialize in projects that focus on adolescent education and gender equality. What are some of the impactful projects that you have been working on in the last 12 months? Yeah, definitely. I'm particularly interested in working on advancing gender equality and working with children in both equipping and supporting them to be able to reach their potential. Um, So some of the things that I've worked on in the past 12 months, I work on gender equality work with uh, UNICEF's East Asia Pacific Regional Office, um, where we've been focusing on addressing the issue of child marriage in the region. Um, The East Asia Pacific region actually has the third highest rates of child marriage in the world. Um, And some of the work that we've done in the past year is sharing research around how child marriage in this region is often a response to adolescent pregnancy and then advocating for the need for improved comprehensive sexuality education and sexual and reproductive health services that are less friendly. And then I also work um, on program management as well as an international programs manager. Um, So I have two adolescent education projects that I manage that focus on building skills through gender responsive um, practical education for adolescents. Um, And so there's one in Papua New Guinea that focuses on entrepreneurial skills um, and one in Burundi that focuses on using creativity and applying learning to solve real world problems. And then I also look after a child protection project in Papua New Guinea as well um, and working to improve child protection systems to protect children's rights, especially their right to grow up in a safe and positive environment. Um, I then also have a project that uses a sport for development approach to build social cohesion in Sri Lanka. Um, And I went to visit this project in October and it was an incredible experience. I was super moved to see the impact of the project in local communities. Um, And it's a project that's been um, ongoing for um, the past few years. It started in 2020, actually during COVID. And this project really addresses um, the the need to improve social cohesion in the country. And it's a country that has faced years of ethnic divisions and conflict. And there are two kind of main components of the project. One, which is kind of working in schools um, to incorporate a sports development approach to um, their physical education subject in schools. Um, So working with the Ministry of Education on on building that in. And while they already had kind of, um, you know, physical education, much like um, there are PE subjects in Australia, adding that sports for development approach really means things like also building adolescent skills in leadership and collaboration and cooperation. Um, So when I visited one of the schools in the eastern province, it was really amazing to see how 
games-based approaches were actually being integrated in other subjects also, kind of um, starting in the PE subject, but really bleeding out into all areas of the curriculum. Um, and teachers were saying to us how much this was leading to um, improved learning outcomes, and especially for those who were considered kind of slow learners previously, um, and also really improving retention rates. Um, we also heard from students about how it's improved their confidence, including with interacting with students from other community groups, um, which is all part of the, the process in building social cohesion. Um, and the second component of the project is delivered through children's clubs in Sri Lanka. And I also got to visit one of these in a Muslim community in the east of the country. And traditionally, Muslim girls aren't allowed to play sport in those communities. And after a lot of kind of consultations with community groups and religious leaders, we found that it was generally due to Muslim communities being worried about their girls not being protected when playing sport, um, which the project was then able to address. Um, and so when I visited, I spent the afternoon sitting with a group of adolescent girls hearing their stories, how much the project had impacted the way that they interact with other people and especially from different communities, which was really exciting to hear. Um, and they're now, um, they were telling me about how they now participate in inter-community cricket tournaments um, and how much the project has helped to improve their health but also allowed them to make friends um, and also have their horizons broadened and kind of understand the world um, as less of a scary place and really helping them to build that confidence as well and really highlighting the effectiveness of using um, friendship as basically the starting point for building social cohesion. Yeah, right. That's absolutely incredible that the program has really empowered those girls and made them feel more confident and even allowed them to feel more comfortable with playing in, as you said, the community cricket tournament. Yeah, it was really cool to see that. And I think it's it really also um, highlights as well that for these girls, it wasn't necessarily a... a a question of kind of empowering them because they didn't have that power to begin with, that was already within them. They already were really curious about the world and really wanted to see um, how other communities lived and to see the, the customs that different communities have and to learn from each other and to build those friendships. But it was really about understanding what the barriers were um, for those communities and for those girls to actually be able to do that and then finding ways to bridge those divides and to allow that opportunity to happen. Um, and it's really exciting as well because social norms change is something that's really, really difficult. Um, but it's really heartening to see that even after um, just six months of running the sport for development activities within that children's club in particular, there were already kind of steps in the right direction and, um, and seeing those friendships being made was a really beautiful thing to see. Yeah, of course. And for the sports development program that you mentioned, would you normally reach out to those local schools to build a connection and then use that connection to implement the programs? So it's actually done um, in alignment and in con collaboration with the um, Sri Lankan government. So we work really closely with the National Institute of Education uh, which is through the Ministry of Education within Sri Lanka. Um, and it's a project that started off as a pilot. Um, and so the, um, the project initially was looking to develop a curriculum that 
that some schools could pilot. But then um, working in co collaboration with the government actually allowed us to be able to work within the education reform process. And so we're actually able to now reach um, all schools in Sri Lanka with this um, sport for development curriculum, um, which is currently being rolled out in different stages so that we can allow for um, testing and revising the curriculum where necessary. Um, so for example, if some of the activities aren't um, as engaging for some students as others um, and making sure that it is both gender uh, responsive as well as disability inclusive. Um, so we're working with the government uh, really closely in, um, in making sure that the curriculum is being delivered across all schools in Sri Lanka. It's incredible and also so important that it's disability friendly as well. That's amazing. Now, you spoke uh, earlier regarding working with the East Asia Pacific Regional Office, um, and you spoke about how you're implementing programs to reduce uh, child marriage and reduce adolescent pregnancy. What kind of programs would you put in place to prevent child marriage? This is mostly done through child protection programs um, and also because it links so much to um, other sectors as well, a lot of the time the work is done through education programs as well. So um, like I was saying before, it's really important to have comprehensive sexuality education embedded within um, within education for adolescents um, and for adolescents to be able to access information around their sexual and reproductive health and rights. Um, and then also not just the information around that, but the services attached to that, which often comes under um, child protection programming. Um, so this is an area that um, we're really hoping to, to work more on in the coming years. There's a lot of kind of momentum being built around it. Um, this year, I worked a lot with the um, East Asia Pacific Office on um, advocacy and, um, and highlighting the importance of this issue. Um, and I think it's really important to, um, to make sure that uh, international development really uses this kind of um, gender responsive lens in looking at their programming as well um, to be, be able to support children to reach their full potential. Yeah, definitely. And it's so great to hear that there's so much collaboration between you and the East Asia Pacific office in addressing those important issues. So how do you think improving access to education and improving gender equality will impact children and their future? Yeah, I think both of those things are really critical to supporting children to reach their full potential and that they actually work really hand in hand. Um, there's the importance of both access to education as well as the quality of education as well. Um, and what I mean by that is that it really needs to be relevant and support children in building the skills that are useful for a 21st century workforce. Um, there's been lots of progress uh, in achieving gender parity within education, which is around kind of equal enrollment rates for girls and boys, but that doesn't necessarily translate into equal completion rates um, of girls and boys completing um, completing school, and also definitely does not um, translate into equality in future work opportunities either. So I think we really are at a point where we need to ask ourselves what else is in the mix that is disadvantaging girls. Um, and part of that work is around um, improving gender equality. And 
it really, um, we're at a point where globally we are over 300 years away from reaching gender equality, which just really isn't good enough. Um, and it's not just an issue of parity in numbers, but in kind of livelihood opportunities, in economic empowerment, in bodily autonomy and sexual and reproductive health and rights, and then also the rates and types of violence that um, girls and boys face as well. Um, and these issues uh, actually start in childhood and they start in the way that stereotypes are embedded in the way that we talk to and interact with children um, and that limits um, the way that girls and boys end up dreaming in um, who and what they can be in the future. Um, and so I think it's really important to um, be working and focusing on improving quality of education and improving gender equality so that boys and girls have more freedom in um, dreaming of what and who they can be in the future. Definitely. I can't believe we're actually 300 years away from achieving gender equality. That's absolutely terrifying. But it also just shows the importance of those programs. Yeah, absolutely. And it's such a, an honour and privilege to be able to be part of that, um, that process in improving, um, hopefully, and shortening the, the time it takes for us to reach gender equality. Yeah, of course. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast, Viv. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Molly. It's been such a pleasure. Well, thanks for listening, guys. If you would like to learn more about UNICEF Australia, feel free to head to our website, projectsthatmatter.info slash podcast. I'll leave a link below. See you next time with Projects That Matter.